we've been doing the work that says this sow can handle plus one. And yes, we're increasing peak count, but still you've got to load that sow up to her ability to milk. She functions best at that manner, and it's less labor, and it's better for the piglets, and it's better for the people. Welcome to Inside the Helix, a podcast presentation from DNA Genetics. Throughout this series, we focus on all things that matter to the pork industry. You'll hear from our award-winning team of geneticists, veterinarians, animal care providers, nutritionists, and other industry-leading experts. We'll explore pig production from genetic improvement all the way to meat quality. Listen along as we take a deep dive inside the DNA Helix. Hello and welcome to Inside the Helix. I'm your host for this episode, Curtis Harms. This is episode number one, and I look forward to being part of your podcast playlist as we release new content every other Tuesday. For today's show, we're looking at the impact of nurse sow strategies on pre-weaning and nursery performance. Joining me today for the inaugural Inside the Helix interview is Dr. John Sonderman. Dr. Sonderman is the Director of Technical Services for DNA Genetics. John, thanks for joining us today. Curtis, thanks for having me. John, before we get started, let's learn a little bit about you. You grew up in town, but you spent time on the farm. How did you get interested in animal agriculture? My mom will tell you that the first word I could say was cow. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. Uh, I just, for whatever reason, always liked livestock. Um, the farming um, I enjoyed, but it was really the livestock that I liked working with. And so everything in my career led me to work with livestock and Lo and behold, I end up working with a pig genetic company. Well, and that's what I was going to say, because you started your career, your educational career, I should say, at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. You were an animal science student. From there, you went on and got a master's degree and focused on dairy reproductive physiology nutrition. You went to get your PhD at Colorado State University in the reproductive physiology and nutrition of beef cattle. Where do pigs come in? <laughs> yeah, uh, I asked myself that, too. <laughs> um, you know, I put my way through college, actually, milking cows. And so I do have a, a soft spot for cows, and I've got a cow herd at home. But um, I was hired to work for a company um, in the feed industry, and they wanted somebody that could also do some, um, both some ruminant and some pig stuff. And we had farrowed sows for rent, my wife and I. So I knew about pigs, knew about pig production. And it was at the time that, that the pig business really started to concentrate in Iowa. And Iowa Select Farms was formed and some of those other large entities. And uh, started working in the sow farms because of my background in reproductive physiology. And that slowly led me to spend a lot of time in the pig industry. Yeah, and you've been with DNA Genetics now since 2005. That's, you know, I was an agricultural journalism student, so math isn't my strength. But that's close to 20 years, if if my math is right. Um, Tell us about DNA Genetics, because... This is our first podcast episode. Maybe some of our listeners aren't super familiar with the company. How would you describe DNA genetics? I don't know if there's an easy way, but I think the best way is that we're focused on the producer. We've always said all, all along that the pig wins and that if the pig provides value to the producer, then he'll use it. And if it doesn't, he won't. And so everything in our genetic program, everything in our tech service and support program, everything is geared geared towards providing a pig that'll provide the producer value. That sounds great. So let's dive into our topic today, which is nurse sows and fostering strategies. I'm excited to get into this topic. There seems to be a lot more focus on nurse sows. 
why is the utilization of nurse sows really becoming an important management consideration for producers? Yeah, you know, when I was younger, we didn't use nurse sows because the sows never had enough pigs that you need to worry about it. Um, but what's happened over the years is the sows have become more prolific. Um, they're having more babies. And with that, you start to run in some challenges. And it seemed like when we hit 13 born alive, that's, that's when we started to have to look at different ways to manage the sow and manage the piglet. And along with that um, came the thought process that, well, we'd create nurse sows and take those extra pigs off and put them on a, an, another sow that we call nurse sow. Um, and, and that, it can help. It can, it can save some pigs, and, and it's, a, it's a tool that we can use. But there's not a lot of science behind it. We just kind of did it. So we were interested in investigating more what's the best way to use a nurse sow. Uh, there's a lot of information about how to make nurse sows, and, and you've got some people that use a ton of nurse sows, maybe 20% like Denmark, and then you've got others that try to go with no nurse sows. And it's really just the function of not only the, how many teats the sow has, but how much milk she produces. And so we focused more on uh, milk production in our selection. We're also selecting for teat count, but we're actually selecting for pounds of pig that that sow can, can wean. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like producers sometimes get wrapped up in teat count, but it's really that functionality and the, the milk production that's 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 a big part of that equation. Right, right. And I think that's kind of what we decided to um, dig into a little bit more and say, okay, if I was going to use nurse sows, how many do I need? And what can this sow do? And we had some preliminary work looking at some data retrospectively that said these sows can handle a lot more pigs than we're giving them credit for. And so we started looking at the philosophy of loading them sows to teat count plus one. And, and we wanted to understand if that if that worked and if that was the best way to do it. And so we, we designed a trial to, to measure that side by side in a commercial system where we could either use no nurse sows or we could use 7% nurse sows, so one sow in a 14 crate room. We would still cross foster the pigs on day one, but then on the nurse sows, we would you know use that nurse sow day three to five, and on the no nurse or the, or the sows treatment, we would never introduce a nurse sow, and we would just make the sow raise her pigs. Our preliminary retrospective data showed that we had some benefits in nursery performance, um, specifically mortality, when we uh, didn't use nurse sows. And so we wanted to really test it truly side by side. And lo and behold, what we found is we could wean more pigs with a nurse sow. But when those pigs got into the nursery finish, that more of those pigs struggled, had to be pulled, and we had a higher mortality, especially in the nurse, nursery, but also in the finish. So I think, you know, as you look at nurse sows and how you're going to use them, I mean, two things really have to be, what are you doing? Are you finishing those pigs out or are you selling those pigs? Because the data said, yeah, we can wean more pigs. We'll have a lower pre-wean. But it also said that the pigs that we weaned wouldn't be quite as big. And our total pounds of pig weaned would be more, not using nurse sows. But then the death loss was higher in those nurse sow uh, piglets. And losing a pig late with the feed cost that we have right now, it's very, very expensive. And so I think it, you have to look at your specific operation. And what's the paradigm for your operation? And what makes sense for you? And nurse sows can still be a very, very valuable tool. But I think, you know... 
we always talk about that we created professional pig movers um, years ago when we would sell a lot of isoween pigs. Moving a pig just for the sake of moving the pig so the person feels good isn't a good idea. There's more and more research, definitely that they need the colostrum from their birth mother. But there's also a lot of research now that is saying that if they stay on their birth mother, lifetime their productivity is better, lower mortality, um, probably better growth. So I think we have to really, really think about whether we need to move that pig or not. Well, and, and you, yeah, you kind of touched on this, but let's talk about the husbandry side of that because it, it, it's a labor-intensive process. How do you recommend or what, what challenges or opportunities, I guess, do you think that producers have within their own systems in re- regards to the handling of animals or the, the husbandry side of that? Yeah, you know, there's no doubt that labor's tough to find in any industry, and agriculture is not immune to that. And I think the more we ask them to do when there's less people, it gets harder. And, and we focused on 14, 14, 21 at DNA Genetics, mm-hmm. and that's 14, 14 pound pigs at 21 days of age. The idea behind that is that we need a self-reliant sow. She's got to do as much of the work herself um, as, as she can. And I think we've gotten a little bit away from um, thinking about it that way. Everybody says they want a self-reliant sow, then they go move a lot of pigs. What we're saying is we're creating a sow for you that you don't have to do that. You've got to trust us that we've been doing the work that says this sow can handle plus one. And yes, we're increasing peak count, but still you've got to load that sow up to her ability to milk. And she functions best at that manner, and it's less labor, and it's better for the piglets, and it's better for the people because they're not doing as much work and having to make as many decisions on which pigs to move. Yeah, absolutely. And John, you've presented on this topic several times at professional conferences as of late. Is there one or two common questions that producers are asking you either during or following your presentation? You know, I think, um, I think the one thing that people have a hard time getting through their mind is everybody counts teats differently when they decide if a teat is functional. And, um, and so you can have two people go in a room and make drastic differences, decisions because of how they count teats. We've made it really simple. When I go out and talk to producers, I say, is it a functional teat? Is it producing milk? If it's not producing milk, then it's non-functional. But if it's producing milk, even if you don't think it's the teat that is pretty as the one next to it, if it's producing milk, then it's a functional teat. And you need to utilize that teat. Because there is a lot of research that says if you don't use that teat, it is not as productive in the next subsequent lactation. So let's let the sows do what, what God intended them to do and just let them be the mother. Mm-hmm. And, and you've probably touched on this some, but are, are there simple things that producers can do in their management strategies and, and working with sows that are just simple steps that they can incorporate? Yeah, you know, it all starts with not having a fat sow. Yeah. Because everybody knows this. We've known it for years that if they eat, If they get more energy in them, the sows produce more milk. If they produce more milk, they wean bigger pigs. That's We've known that forever. But when we send them in fat, they don't eat as well. And when they don't eat as well, they don't milk as well. And then they start losing body weight, and then they don't breed back as well. And when they do breed back, they don't have as many piglets. It's a very, very, it's a vicious cycle you get into. So we need a lean, fit, athletic sow. 
that's that's how we refer to it. We don't want a sow that's too skinny. That's not good either. But we sure certainly don't want a sow that's too fat. And it's really no different than human nutrition and human thoughts on, on obesity. Obesity, you know, there's heart attacks, there's high blood pressure, there's diabetes, all those things associated with a with a person that's overweight or excessively overweight. And that's what we're asking, the, telling the producer is, keep a lean, fit sow that is very athletic looking so that she's going to eat a lot. Some of the producers, when they switch to that, they say, I think my sows almost gain weight in lactation. It's like, that's right, because they can and they feel good. So it it's, seems simple, but it's harder yeah, to get people yeah. to do. Well, and, and like I said earlier, you've been with DNA Genetics um, for nearly 20 years now. You're heading up the technical services department here. You've been in a lot of barns. Is that probably the biggest, the biggest challenge or the biggest area where maybe producers are maybe failing a bit? Yeah, I think, I think it, it is. I think there's two areas that they, the gilts, um, right now gilt development is finally getting more attention, but there's a lot of people that just ignore the gilt until they want a breeder. And that's not the way to raise the guilt. Um, and there's plenty of, of work out there, some that we've done, some that others done, that say you need to pay attention to that guilt. But then after that, it's all about keeping them in good condition. Again, you don't want them too thin, but you don't want them too fat. We get really complicated and we say, oh, is it a body condition score, 3 or 2.75 or whatever. And that's not the important point. The important point is she fat, is she thin, or is she ideal? real simple and if she's too fat or she's too thin then we need to make adjustments to her feed any future outlook or any future research that that you're wanting to look into to further this 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 whole thought process down the line yeah we're continuing to do another trial following up on the last one we did and our, the last one was pretty robust it was 300 sows per treatment and uh, the young interns that we had God bless their hearts. They weighed 9,000 pigs, Ooh. over 9,000 pigs. In, in it's a tag. busy summer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was a busy summer seven days a week because, as you know, you've got to be there yeah. every day. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're doing a follow-up to, to look at a few things that we didn't within that um, as far as the strategy of, of is, there a com- is there somewhere between no nurse sows, is, is if we went 3% nurse sows, would that work? I mean, so there's some more things we're digging into. We're going to continue to do that and find the answers, and we're going to share those with the industry. We are really big on that. We want to make the industry better. It's not just about what we learn and we're going to keep it in a black box and hide it for ourselves. We want to make sure that the research that we do, this production research, gets out to the industry and that they benefit from it. Now to wrap up here, John, um, I don't mean to keep aging you by saying you've been with the company for nearly 20 years. You, I, I, I know you started when you were probably 20 or some, sometime in that time frame, but tell us what, what keeps you passionate or what keeps you excited to come into work each and every day. You know, obviously, you, we've already talked about my love of livestock, and, and I do. I just love livestock. But, but what really keeps me is, is the people. And it's the ability to make a difference in somebody's life. And, and it may be as simple as um, they they're become more productive, they become more profitable, and they bring a child back into the operation. Or maybe they're able to take their wife on a vacation. Whatever it is that, that they're passionate about, that, that being more productive and more profitable allows them to do, I mean, that's what 
you know, I heard John Wooden, and he's probably too way too old for you. He was the coach at UCLA when they won like sure, seven sure. NCAA championships. Mm-hmm. And he has a quote that I just can't forget, and that is, you've never had a perfect day unless you can help somebody that can never repay you. And I just think if we all lived our life that way, just imagine what kind of society we would have. Those are definitely some good closing words there. John, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Thank you, Curtis. Next time on Inside the Helix, Dr. Christine Manquist-Wiggum will be with us to discuss starting the pig the first 10 days. Dr. Manquist-Wiggum is a veterinarian and the director of health with DNA Genetics. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Helix. There's a lot of great content ahead on Inside the Helix podcast, but we want to hear from you. If you've got questions or topic ideas, visit us online at dnaswinegenetics.com or find us on social media. I'm Curtis Harms with DNA Genetics. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Helix, presented by DNA Genetics. Inside the Helix is released every other Tuesday and is focused on what matters to the swine industry. To catch up on previous episodes, visit us online at dnaswinegenetics.com or find us at your favorite podcast streaming platforms. You can also keep up with DNA Genetics throughout the year by following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. For Inside the Helix, I'm Curtis Harms.